Hey everybody, this is Brian Zond, and welcome to the Word of Life Church Sermon Podcast. I'm glad you're interested in what we have to say as we try to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you would ever be so inclined to help us financially, you can do that at wolc.com. All right. Good morning, everybody. Are you excited to be entering the season of Advent? I am. I am. And I tell you what, I, uh, we're not here to be entertained. I know that. But man, I loved worship. I don't mean I was entertained, although I think I kind of was. But I entered in too. I just, what, what I'm saying is that we, we received such lovely assistance from the worship team to help us do that. And yeah, give them a hand. I, I really, I thought... That's how you begin Advent right there. All right, well, our Old Testament reading from the scriptures on the first Sunday of Advent comes from the prophet Isaiah. And in Isaiah 64, 1, we read, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Long before the birth of Christ, the poet prophet Isaiah of the exile gave lyrical expression to Israel's longing that God would decisively intervene. And he gave expression by singing, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Have you ever felt that? That if, if God would just show up, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. And in the fullness of time, God did rend the heavens and come down when he sent forth his son, born of a woman. But it was a long wait. From Isaiah's poetic cry for God to come down until the babe of Bethlehem wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, that was more than five full centuries. Advent is our humble recreation of that long wait. Advent is for learning how to wait. Advent is for cultivating patience, which is a prime virtue. Some people want to just sort of revel in their impatience. That's foolishness. Patience is a prime virtue. Apostle James said, so let patience do its perfect work so that you might be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Let patience do its perfect work in you so that you would be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. St. Teresa of Avila, she taught us to pray. You know this prayer. Let nothing disturb you. Let nothing frighten you. All things are passing away. God never changes. Patience obtains all things. 
Let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Patience obtains all things. Whoever has God lacks nothing. God alone suffices. So we are waiting on God. And those who wait on the Lord, those that wait on the Lord, they don't get weary. Those that wait on the Lord, they renew their strength. They mount up with wings like eagles. They run and they're not weary. They walk and they faint not. Advent is about learning to wait. But this Advent, I want to add wonder to the waiting. I want to add wonder to the waiting. Wonder is the lost enchantment that our soul longs for. I'll tell you, one of the reasons people love Christmas is it is a time that still possesses wonder. That's what we really love about it. And wonder is the enchanted land where all good theology begins. 20 years ago, July 24th, 2003, to be precise, I had a mystical experience in the Rocky Mountains that opened for me the door to theological enchantment. In a mystical moment of nature-induced wonder, I prayed, God, I want to live my life in a constant state of wonder. And to my surprise, the divine voice answered me saying, this is the greatest wonder of all. The word became flesh. I mean, I'm still, I'm still living in that moment. (laughs) That, That moment has been carried with me now for 20 years. I want to live my life in a state of constant wonder. I didn't just want to keep going long after the thrill of living is gone. I wanted to I wanted wonder. And I, I prayed, not expecting an answer. It was more just kind of a, an aspiration, a sigh. I didn't expect an answer, but I got one. This is the greatest wonder of all. The word became flesh. And so for the next three Sundays, the next three Sundays during Advent, I... I want us to explore the incarnation as the greatest wonder of all. Incarnation, we mean, we mean God becoming human through the womb of Mary. I, I want to explore uh, the greatest wonder of all, different aspects for the next three Sundays. Today we'll begin with the word became flesh. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. In the beginning was the Word. You've probably heard, perhaps, that this Word is Logos, in the Greek language that the New Testament was written in. And some have said, I mean, some that know far more about this than I know. Some that are scholars in the language, they've said, you know, 
That word is so rich, so vast, so imbued with depth of meaning that in some ways we just need to learn that word and not try to translate it. But, you know, you still have to work at it. So what, what in the beginning was the logos. In the beginning was the word, because it can mean that, but it's bigger than that. In the beginning was the discussion. That word can also mean that, the discourse. In the beginning was, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness. As the discourse. In the beginning was the reason. It could mean that. In the beginning was the logic. In the beginning was the understanding. In the beginning was God's understanding of God's self. In the beginning was the logic of love. Because God is love. And then I could go on and I could talk about the logos, the word, as the second person, second hypostas of the, of the, of the trinity. But then, I'm, then I'm, I'm moving into explanation. And that's not what I want to do. I, I, don't, I don't want to explain the incarnation. I want us to wonder at it. Christianity is not an explanation. It's a proclamation. It's a confession. Ah, th you know, there's room for explanation, and some of that's helpful, and we need to do some of that. But if, if you just fill it with too much explanation, it crowds out the wonder. You understand what I'm saying? If it just becomes a technical discourse in Christology, there's a place for that. But if, if we bring that into church too much, it crowds out the wonder. And I, I want to, this Advent, I want to leave a lot of room for the wonder. St. Augustine, most influential theologian in the history of Western theology, said, we have the fact, let us seek the mystery. We have the fact, that is, we have the gospel fact, that is, we have the story. We have the story of, we have that. Now let's seek the mystery. Let's seek that which is inviting us into the mystery of God. Well, let's think about the incarnation. Regarding the incarnation, the gospel fact is that the Logos assumed human flesh through the Virgin Mary. That's the gospel fact. It's not an empirical fact. It's not something you can prove or disprove. So don't go on that quest. How, how could such a thing be? How can anything be? I mean, how can let there be light be, but there is. It's not an empirical fact that can be proved. It's a gospel fact that is proclaimed. As it's proclaimed in the creed, he was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. So that when we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, we begin with Jesus as God. In the beginning was the word, the Logos. And the Logos was with God and the Logos was God. This is the Logos that becomes flesh that we know as Jesus Christ. 
When we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, we begin with Jesus as God. The only reason we know anything about the historical Jesus of Nazareth is because of the testimony of those who believed and proclaimed him to be the son of God. We don't start with, you know, well, the historical Jesus and, you know, watch a PBS documentary on that and then eventually move towards some sort of conclusion at the end. Well, I guess I believe also that he's the son of God. No, we start there. I mean, how, how does the first gospel penned was actually the gospel of Mark. How does it begin? The first sentence, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. I mean, we're going to tell the first thing we're going to tell you about before we tell you where he's born or what he did, before we tell you about his sermons, his teachings, his miracles, the first thing we tell you is he's the son of God. That's where we start with Jesus. <clears throat> Four years ago, this very weekend, I was speaking at a human rights conference and, um, I was the only one that really talked a lot about Jesus, but I did. <laughs> it was not necessarily particularly an overtly Christian conference, but I don't know how to talk about anything if I'm not going to talk about Jesus. So I was at this conference, human rights conference, kind of focusing on justice issues in the Middle East. I talk about Jesus. And there I met a newly former Christian, a young woman who had been a Christian. In fact, she'd been in ministry. She was in vocational ministry. But she started listening to one of these ubiquitous former Christian podcasts. You know, you, de you deconstruct your faith down to there's nothing less. And then, and then you go evangelize. <laughs> you get yourself a podcast. She started listening to one of these podcasts and within six months was an atheist. She was at this conference. We're having dinner. She's seated next to me. This was no accident. <laughs> the host had manipulated this to be the case. And so I'm, I'm with this newly minted atheist, former Christian, because the host wants there to be a conversation. I'm not going to push it. That's, I just, I'm not going to be like that. I'm not that. I just, you know, she led the conversation and at some point early in the conversation, she said, well, why does Jesus have to be God? I said, well, who are we talking about when you say Jesus? You know, Jesus. I said, I don't know. Tell me who we're talking about when you say why does Jesus have to be God? Who is this Jesus you're referring to? She says, well, you know, the Jesus that uh, came from Nazareth, preached in Galilee, and was crucified in Jerusalem by Pontius Pilate. I said, well, how do you know that about Jesus? I mean, how do you know? You, you tell me, why does Jesus, who was from Nazareth and preached in Galilee and was crucified by Pontius Pilate in Jerusalem. Why does he have to be God? Well, how do you know any of, the, any of those things about him? She said, well, 
I guess it's because it's in the Gospels. I said, that's right. You know about this historical Jesus, as you would refer to him, because Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell you about him. But they also tell you he's the son of God. So you believe them when they say, well, he was from Nazareth and he preached in Galilee and he was crucified by Pontius Pilate. Yes, but you don't believe it when they say he's the son of God. No, I don't believe that. I said, well, did Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John not believe it? Were they perpetrating a hoax? Were they just, you know, having fun messing with people? Yeah, we'll, we'll just tell everybody he's the son of God. That'll, that'll be a nice little... She says, no, no, I, I don't think that at all. I believe they were sincere. All right, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John sincerely believed that Jesus was the son of God, but they're wrong. She said, yes. I said, so they were what, just stupid? She said, no, I wouldn't say they were stupid. I would say they were... And she couldn't find the word. So I helped her. I said, not modern. Yeah, not modern. I said, all right, so let's get this straight. You're telling me that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John wrote from deep conviction that Jesus was the son of God, but you know that cannot be true because you're a modern person who listens to podcasts. The modern mind is materialist and intolerant of mystery. But mystery is the only path to spiritual transcendence. And Christianity without transcendence degenerates into politics. There's a lot I just said there. Rewind the tape, you know. <laughs> Listen to that a few times. The tape. I'm sure you have tapes. Well, we'll have the tapes out in the foyer afterwards. You can pick one up. I got started with Jesus because I believed the revelation that he was the son of God. I just started there. That's where I started. I don't think you can start anywhere else. Personally, I'm not interested in a Jesus that is not the son of God. Yeah, I'm just not interested. If he's not the son of God, yeah, I'm just not interested. Uh, that Jesus may be able to offer some advice from the past, but he can't save us. I need more than advice from a dead sage. <laughs> I need salvation. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. That's what I need. I need God to come to me. Not just advice from a dead sage. The salvation we need rent the heavens and came down when the word became flesh. The word as the author of the story. Our story, the human story, wrote himself into the story with the incarnation. Think, think of, a, of an author creating a story and they don't just write about them. So they actually somehow enter the story. That's what happened when the word became flesh. When the word became flesh, God became a full participant in the human story as a human being. 
The moment the word entered the game, I'll just use that kind of language, the outcome was a foregone conclusion. When the word assumed human flesh, humanity was going to be saved. There, it, there was just no doubt about it. Now everything's going to play out all the way to crucifixion and resurrection. But the moment the word entered the game, the heavens had been rent, God had come down, and the world was to be saved. Hallelujah. The thing has to play out. It's going to have to go through all that it has to go through. But our salvation was guaranteed the moment Mary said, be it unto me according to your word. I'll preach more about this next week when I talk about recapitulation. But uh, for now, I want to return to wonder. Let's go back to wonder. 29 years ago, John, Joan Osborne asked the question, what if God was one of us? Anybody remember that song? You, sh you should watch the YouTube of it. The music video is on YouTube. It's been watched like 67 million times. They, it's a crying shame that has not been in Finding God in the Music. I don't know what I'm thinking. I mean, that's just an obvious one. It's just like right there's a, I could have knocked that out of the park. I might have to correct that mistake. She asked the song in that great, the question, the great song, One of Us. She asked that question, what if God was one of us. Well, the gospel says, you know what? You know what? You're going to love this, Joan. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That's the merry part of Merry Christmas. That God became one of us because he loves us and he joined us to save us. But what is that like? I mean, what is it like though? What is it like when God, the word, the eternal logos becomes a human being. Ooh, it makes me wonder. Does it make you wonder? The one who is God from God, light from light, entered nine months of darkness within a human womb. That's rending the heavens and coming down. In the book of Common Prayer, we pray... When you became man to set us free, you did not shun the virgin's womb. The first darkness, the logos of light knew, was the nine-month darkness in a human womb. The first darkness, the logos of light knew, was the nine-month darkness in a human womb. 33 years later, the Logos of Light knew the three-day darkness of a human tomb. But between womb and tomb, there was a human life to be lived. And the Word made flesh, living a fully human life, should evoke endless wonder. When the heavens were torn and God came down and God entered the world through a birth canal, God did not enter the world with pomp and circumstance and overawing displays of power. God, when God finally did rend the heavens and come down and enter our world with us, intervening decisively, God entered the world like each one of us as an utterly helpless infant. So if you want to evoke wonder, just start, just start with the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes 
Take it from there and wonder. The logos in infancy. An infant. An infant is utterly, absolutely, totally, entirely dependent upon its mother. So that's why it evokes such artistic imagination. I mean, other than the crucifixion of Jesus, I suppose the most depicted image in the history of art is Mary with the child Jesus. I mean, millions, billions of these have been created. One of the most famous one is the, is the, uh, the Virgin of Vladimir, what it's called. It was, it was created 900 years ago. It's, it's what I put on the cover of uh, the anticipated Christ. 900 years old, you know, it's public domain. <laughs> but I mean, why is that depicted over and over? Because it's like, well, that's, that's God she's holding. She gave birth to God. She's the Theotoka. She gave, she bore God. She nursed God. She carried God around. She burped God. See, I just thought that, I just thought that one up right now. Wonder. What about the logos in childhood? What, what about the logos when the logos as human is about like this? What about that? Well, we're going to get the logos learning, that phrase right there, learning. One of the, one of the ideas of logos is the, the pinnacle, not, not even the pinnacle, but the, uh, the full substance of all knowledge. The full substance of all knowledge, learning to read. The word, learning to read. The, the logos the omnipotent, almighty Logos, learning to walk. Do you wonder about things like that? God growing up, going to synagogue. It's a, it's a, it's a, bit, it's a bit of a, an anachronism, not quite right, but it's close enough. So let me say it this way. God growing up, going to church. Should you go to church? Well, God went to church as a kid. Went to church. What about logos and adolescence? Mm. When does he know? When does he know? Jesus doesn't have a memory of being God. Oh yeah, I remember when I was hanging out with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, just the three of us up there, sometimes playing Uno or whatever. <laughs> no, memory, human memory, I mean, that's, that's human. That's, that's, and Jesus' humanity begins with the Annunciation, conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit in the virgin womb. See, it is a memory. But eventually he has an awareness. 
And how does the awareness come? Does it go, how, how do you process that thought? I think I know who I am. And it's I am. How do you get there? I'm wondering. You're looking for an answer? I don't know. I know that by the time he's 12, he can take it upon himself to say, ah, I'm just going to have, I'm going to stay for three days by myself at the temple and have a theological discussion with the chief priests and the elders. And when Mary finally finds him after three days and she says, child, why have you treated us like this? He said, why were you looking for me? Didn't you know I must be about my father's business? So by then he knows something. What about the logos in young manhood? Going to work as a carpenter. Not, he's not a rabbi. He's a carpenter. The creator of all things. For in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him and apart from him. Nothing was made that was made. And now he's working in a carpenter's shop. That makes me wonder. And then he's baptized. Joins us in an act of repentance. Joins us in an act of repentance. And then he, he performs his first miracle, Cain of Galilee. Mary's a part of that too. She's there. She senses it's time. Turns the water to wine and Cana of Galilee... This is, this is God as human. He walks upon water and sits weary at the well of Sychar. And you have to hold both those things together. He walks on water. That's God. That's God's stuff right there. But he also says, oh man, I'm tired. I'm thirsty. Can I have a drink? All held together in one. Once you enter the greatest wonder of all, the word made flesh, you have discovered a world of endless wonder. So this, this Advent season and into Christmas, I just, I, that's all I want you to do. I just want you to wonder. I just want you to wonder. You don't have to explain it. You don't have to apply it to your life. For goodness sake, you don't have to make it practical. Just enter the wonder. Just consider the word made flesh and wonder. That's enough because wonder evokes worship. When people lose the wonder, they cease to worship. So wonder evokes worship, and once we begin to really worship the Word of God, who is Jesus Christ, we're in a good place. Amen. Stand up with me. And now, we've been speaking of the mystery. We have the fact. Let us seek the mystery. I've been talking about the mystery. Now, we're going to enter into the mystery by participating in the body and blood of Christ in the sacrament of Eucharist. We're going to enter the mystery and we're going to prepare our hearts to do that first. 
by confessing our Christian faith. Join with me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now join with me in confessing our sins. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. And God is gracious to all who confess their sins and in humility ask for mercy. In the name of Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. And this is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little, you who have been here often and you who have not been here long, you who have tried to follow and you who have failed, come, because it is the Lord who invites you. It is his will that those who want him should meet him here. The body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ shed for you, amen.